Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 13 to 19 and the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying what do you see and I said I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north and then the Lord said to me out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land for behold I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north says the Lord and they shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they have forsaken me burnt incense to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you do not be dismayed before their faces lest I dismay you before them for behold I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land against the kings of Judah against its princes against its priests and against the people of the land they will fight against you but they shall not prevail against you for I am with you says the Lord to deliver you now God is playing I spy with Jeremiah again this week as we saw last week and um, if you remember the question was exactly the same last week Jeremiah what do you see what do you see and Jeremiah answered of course uh, what we now know I see an almond rod or a rod of almond and we saw that the almond rod tells us that God is sovereign we saw that the almond rod tells us that God is here with us we saw that the almond rod tells us that God is active and that the almond rod tells us that God will see and will and is see his will and purpose done in our lives and in the lives of those to whom we witness and that's what we looked at last week as we looked at the almond tree and how it uh, was the, the sign of greater things to come of fruitfulness uh, of warmth um, and all the, the wonderful things that you would associate with spring and summer that's what we looked at last week but this morning we have the identical question Jeremiah what do you see and again Jeremiah's answer was quite simple quite familiar you know and that's the thing that we looked at last week how simple was it for Jeremiah to say an almond tree there they are in abundance you know, you, when, when God would ask you such a question, you sort of sort of think, well, what does he really want to know? You know, can I look at, can I find something in this? Can I, no, just say what you see, says God. And that's what Jeremiah did. He said what he saw. An almond tree last week, and again his answer this week is just what he saw. He took his eyes from the trees and looked into the courtyard, and there his eyes fell upon another quite normal scene at this time a boiling pot on the fire you know and there's nothing spectacular 
or supernatural. It's just an everyday object in an everyday household at the time of Jeremiah. Perhaps you wouldn't see it today. Something out in the courtyard on fire, um, sort of boiling pot. But you know, we would have we brought all that indoors now. But it was something normal. Nothing spectacular. Jeremiah didn't have to think. All he had to say, do, was look and see and answer. So it was a boiling pot, but there was a a problem with the boiling pot. In fact, it was quite alarming what was happening to the boiling pot. It was facing away from the north, says Jeremiah. Facing away from the north, which very likely means that the pot had slipped on the fire and was leaning away from the north and towards the south. You know, perhaps even losing some of its contents into the fire below, causing smoke to rise up and the flames to spit. A scene that would convey neglect. Neglect. And not a little danger. Today, of course, we have no problem with this. We have stoves in the kitchen and the, the, the tops of the stoves are flat and even and the tops of our, the bottoms of our, uh, our boiling pots or our saucepans or our casserole dishes they are flat so all we got to do is put them on the stove and they're there now I have had a, a couple of frying pans tip over right, when I was in a bit of cooking but uh, normally it's, an, it's as easy as that doesn't take, take any thinking you know, Pauline will come up this morning, she'd get her big pot of taters, and she'd put it on the stove and put the stove on. And that's it. No problem. But when you are sort of cooking outdoors, then you've got to prepare. You can't just wing it. You can't just say, oh, that'll do. I hope that'll stay like that. You know, because the fire's going to move. The ground is going to move. The pot is going to swell. And things could happen to tip the pot in the wrong Direction. So much effort and planning is needed in order to maintain the pot in the upright position. You know, perhaps we could say in our words today, they've they've been slapdash in their preparation. There's no thought gone into it. It was just placed there without any preparation and now danger was present. Now as we read on in this little passage we can see the neglect that is mirrored in the the scene of the tipping pot. Because God goes on and says they have forsaken me. They have burnt incense to other gods and they have worshipped the works of their own hands. Now as we read the Old Testament one thing becomes abundantly clear which is very relevant for us here this morning. And that is God is meticulous. Meticulous. Especially when it comes to the people approaching Him. God leaves nothing to chance. Now we do. You know, my mind has gone straight away to that moment when David brought the ark up. He wanted to bring it up to Zion. And they brought it up on a new cart. Which was awful to start with. That was his first mistake. You know, the desire to bring it up was wonderful. But the way that they thought that they could do it was absolutely abhorrent to God. 
And of course, we know the story of the, 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 the cart went over the stone or something. The ark started to shift. And a man, with all the sincerity in the world, grabbed hold of it to stop it falling. And lost his life. And you're thinking to yourself, but Lord, he was sincere. But Lord, he saved the box from falling off. But Lord says, that's not the way it's done. That's not what I have said in the word. That's not how you approach me. That's not how you touch the ark. There are certain people who touch the ark. And they do it with the rods. It's not carried on with a horse and cart. It's carried by the priests. See, God is so meticulous when it comes to people approaching Him and being involved with holy things. You know, that tabernacle was an awesome sight. But it was a frightening place as well. Because one slip, one foot wrong, and you're gone. You are not so awesome. God is. There's no possibility of winning it, leaving it to chance. No slapdash way of worshipping Him. You and that's the challenge to us, of course. That's why I asked the question early on. Have you come to worship the King? Have you come to worship the King? You see, we can, we can think of dozens of reasons to come to chapel this morning. And they're all legitimate. We come to meet with each other. You know, we come because we like the singing. We come because the preacher is brilliant. Well, we pass not so much. But we come for all different types of reasons. Some of us come to get out of the house. We haven't been out of the house since Thursday. You know, let's go to the house of the Lord and get out and about and enjoy the sunshine. There's so many reasons to come to the house of the Lord. But the reason has to be that we've come to worship Him. And therefore our hearts are prepared to worship Him. You know, and that's what churches all over the country should be doing, is coming to worship the Lord. You know, uh, Jesus said, didn't he, to the woman at the well, he, he said, God is spirit, and those that worship should worship in spirit and in truth. You know, she was concerned with where? Is it in this mountain that we worship God? The Jews say it's down, down in Jerusalem. But Jesus says, no, you don't worship God in Emmanuel. You don't worship God in Gossan. You don't worship God at the bush. You worship God in spirit and in truth. No, we're not here to, to propagate a, an Emmanuel type of uh, service, although we think it's the best. But it's God in spirit and in truth. You know, we can go through the motions and we can slap dash, put that pot on the fire, any old hour, but it will fall. It will tip, it will spill. It will become a danger to us. Just as it was to that man who touched the ark. No, it doesn't matter what songs we sing. What music uh, we use. It doesn't matter whether we're on the cutting edge of the Christian scene. No, you know, we, me and David had a message from the worship leader um, this yesterday. She's, uh, she's away today. But she sent us a message. Can you believe that? This is, what, this is what I want you to do it this morning. Well, she didn't say that. She just told us that she's going to teach us a new song when she comes home. And she put the song on for us to get used to it. You know, it's, uh, and it's a new song. A new song. Oh, go to that church down there. They sing all the new songs. Isn't it great that they sing all the new songs? 
It didn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're on the cutting edge of the Christian scene or whether we are. We relish the glorious words of Wesley and Isaac Watson and all them different. It doesn't matter. It's in you that matters. We worship in spirit and in truth. It's our hearts. You want me to ask the question, am I, is my heart consumed by Christ? Is it full of worship to the one who is above all and deserves all? Are our minds focused on his glory, on his beauty, on his holiness, on his righteousness? Have we come to while away an hour or have we come to worship him who is above all things? That's the challenge that is thrown down to us. You know the challenge of course as well as we come round the table as, Ma- as Nigel said it's the blood. You see you know when you go into the tabernacle everywhere was covered in blood because blood had to be shed. You are the way to God is a blood stained way. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that has paved the way that we can come. We can't come no other way. You know there's no way but we can come. There is the God, uh, the way to God is uniquely through the shed blood of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And don't ever think for a moment that you have any merit of your own. Don't think for a second that you deserve to be in His presence. Don't think that God will accept us any other way other than through Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, the truth, and the life. You you can see what's happening here. The children of Israel think that they can just turn up and everything's okay. But they had forsaken the God of their salvation. They had left him and turned to other expressions of deity. They had sullied their hands with the things of the world and exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped things rather than the true and living God. Their boiling pot had slipped. The contents were spilling out onto the fire. Smoke was rising. Sparks were spitting. The boiling pot was tipped. You know, and so was they. So was the Jews. They had slipped into backsliding. Do you know, oh, what a dreadful indictment upon the Church of Jesus Christ today. When we see large swathes of so-called Christianity doing exactly the same thing. Setting their gaze on the mystical delights of Eastern religions. Consulting mediums instead of being engrossed in the pure word of God. You know, it seems the church is worshipping at altars that are foreign to the true God of the Bible. It seems in our day that the pot has slipped and its contents are spitting out into the fire and the blood of Jesus Christ is being trampled underfoot. That's what we have today in large swathes of the church. You know, I said on Thursday night that God is quite consistent when it comes to chastising his people. And you know, we, we just laughed at uh, Francis lifting up a walking stick to a younger son. For the benefit of the tape, I'm only joking. <laughs> but you see, today it's going to be, soon it's going to become illegal to chastise uh, your children with a slap or a, a tap or whatever. It's going to become, you know, that's, that's how the world is going. 
you know, the children rule enough now, but, you know, if you can't do, if you can't chastise them, what's it going to be like in the future? I don't really know. But God chastises his sons. That's a principle that he lays out so well in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Him who he loves, he chastises. And if you are not chastised by the Father, then you have to doubt whether you are a son. That's what the Bible actually, yeah. uh, how the Bible actually puts it. You know, God will chastise his people. And I said on Thursday night that he has three usual avenues. The first avenue that we could look at is the, is the famine. When we looked at um, uh, Elijah and Ahab, how did God judge his people there? It was through a famine. When we look at Ruth, how did God judge his people there? It was through a famine. When we look at Joel, how did God judge his people there? It was through a famine. That's one of the ways that God judges his people Israel. It is because he had promised them that he will rain life out of heaven unless they turn to other gods and he will shut the heavens. That's the first one. Then of course we saw uh, the one that interested us on Thursday night was the expulsion from the land. Moses had, uh, had prophesied that if they turn to other gods then they will spend thousands of years outside of their land. And we've seen on Thursday night that that was the case. That, that Israel wandered about as strangers in everybody else's land until of course last century. You know, we, here we have uh, the last uh, way that he, um, he chastises and that is by bringing invading armies into their midst and this is what is happening here you know as the pot tilts towards the south so it is, its direction is from the north and God goes on and says then the Lord said to me out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land for behold I am calling I am calling. This is God doing it. I'm calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. Against all its walls, all around and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter judgments against them concerning their wickedness. Not a very pleasant message to bring. You see, the first message was, wow, God is sovereign. God is here. God is active. God is going to look after his word. You know, and that's the message that I like to bring. I like to bring that. To preach the message of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful message. We've got a message of good news to bring. But you see, Jeremiah had two messages. Two messages. And this one isn't so palatable. You know, this is the one that we shy away from. This is the one that we will leave to visiting preachers when they come along. Because they can get up and go. And not face the consequences. But you see these two messages. That are uh, symbolized by these two um, scenes. The almond tree and the, the boiling pot. They have to be held in tension. You see there is good news. But there is bad news as well. There is blessing. But there is warning. You know, as Christians, we have, must have these two messages in our hearts, on our lips, held in tension. One that overrides the other will be wrong. If the other one overrides that one, it's wrong. But when you've got the two in tension, then you are doing what God has asked Jeremiah 
to do. You know, it's, uh, it's no use telling people that Jesus died for their sins. If first we don't advise them that they are sinners. Because no one can see that they are sinners because what they do is so natural. You know, they were born with it. They live with it. We all did. It's only by the grace of God that we've realized that we are sinners. And it's only by the grace of God that we have understood that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And therefore he died for me. See the two messages, the warning, the bad news, and the blessing, the good news. They have to be in tension with one another. You know, is it any good? Speaking of the glories of life in the heavenlies. If we first haven't warned of life with hope, without hope and without God in hell for eternity. Of course it's not. People are not going to run to heaven if they don't know that there's a hell to flee from. People will only flee from danger. People will only seek help if they are in trouble. People will only visit the doctor if they know that they are ill. The bad must come before the good. Unfortunately. You, know, you don't go down to see about your knee to the doctors if your knee's okay. You don't go down and think, my, my, my knee might be bad next week, can you see about it? No. No, it's my knee is bad. Then I go down. And that's, all, and that's the, the crux of the gospel message. You know, we've given the answer for years and years and years. But we have forgot to talk about the problem. The reason for the answer. The reason for the answer is it's, is it's severe and important. The bad must become before the good. The warning has to come before the solution. And therefore there's two messages. And as we preach and as we witness, then some of that time must be spent in outlining what a failure to put our trust in Jesus Christ will mean. Jesus said, you are condemned already. Already. I didn't come to condemn you. You're condemned already. Because you didn't believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if people don't understand that they condemn, they will never call on the name of the Lord for salvation. That's most important. You know, and so this passage ends with a challenge that is thrown out to Jeremiah. I say a challenge. I would, uh, I would, I would say more than a challenge. It's a commandment. God isn't challenging us this morning. God is commanding us this morning. And this is what He says. Therefore, because of this, because of these two messages that you have so rightly uh, discovered, because of this, prepare yourself and arise and speak. To all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces. Lest I dismay you before them. For behold I have made you this day a fortified city. And an iron pillar. And bronze wall. Against the whole land. It's a command. Prepare yourself. You know this is what should have happened. When they put the boiling pot on the fire. There should have been a ring of stones or however they did it. It should have been even. The pot should have been put on squarely. There should have been no 
possibility of the pot spilling over if they had taken time. And sometimes our our entry into the into the fray is so unthought of, unthought out, so unprepared. Other times, of course, we are prepared. You know, I, I think back of uh, to when we done Christianity Explored and things like that. We we prepared well for that, and we saw fruit for our labours. But sometimes our activities are slapdash. You know, but God is saying. He said, get prepared. Prepare yourself. You know, I told the people on Friday morning you that uh, or God through Peter has told us that we should always be ready to make a defense for the gospel and be prepared to tell them why you believe it. Now that is a challenge, but it's also an, a, a command. You know, and woe betide any of us who don't take that command as serious so that when we are in the fray when we are talking to people if we can't tell them why we believe if we can't make a defense of the gospel then shame on us shame on us we have disobeyed the command of God it's important that we know where we stand know why we stand so we can tell others so that they won't go away confused but he will go away having seen someone who is standing on something solid. Be prepared. Remember when the angel of the Lord addressed Gideon? He says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. You know what I would say that Gideon completely disagreed with him. The angel of the Lord. You know, in, in perhaps in many respects, that's Jesus himself in his Old Testament guise. Speaking to Gideon and telling him the truth as God sees it. And Gideon completely disagreeing. No, he says, I'm not prepared to go and do what you're asked. It's a, it's a task that is too big for me. I'm the, my clan is the smallest and I'm the smallest of the clan. I am not in your league at all. Go and find someone bigger than me. And then God takes him through a set of teaching seminars and he makes him the greatest leader uh, of his age as far as God is concerned that's all God did was tell him the truth tell him the truth I'm with you all we need to know really I'm with you I've made you a strong tower I've made you a strong iron wall I am with you you know, and that's another reason why we should uh, prepare ourselves to be uh, witnesses in the community. Not only uh, should we prepare ourselves uh, mentally and spiritually, but we should prepare ourselves emotionally as well. God is with us. He's with us every moment that we, we spend in the company of other people. Why are we afraid? Why does He grip our hearts when we have someone so powerful who has promised to be with us? You know, Jeremiah, you had no option. This was a command. Prepare yourself. I'm teaching Tyrone the drums. And I've got to be honest, I didn't think that, because if you threw a ball at him, he'd go like this. You know, he got no coordination at all. But he's picked the sticks up there, and he's, he's got really into it. But for a couple of weeks, you could tell he hadn't been practicing. And he'd come here, and he wouldn't be so good as the week before. 
and he wouldn't be so good as the, you know, as he kept on coming, he wasn't so good as the week before. So I sat him down and I said, look, if you were not prepared to prepare yourself, you know, and this is Grancher speaking, his grand, grumpy, then I won't be prepared to spend time here with you teaching you. I don't want to be telling you the same thing every week for the next five years. And I got to be honest, the next week, it sprang on again. You know what? We've got to prepare. We've got to be prepared. And God wants us to prepare ourselves. Bible study, Sunday, uh, Friday mornings, Sunday mornings. It's all about preparation. But there's more hours in the week that we can spend in God's Word, spend in prayer, spend looking for that moment when God can use us. Prepare yourself. And it will take some preparation. But only a fool would go out unprepared. Only a fool would go out unprepared. You know, there's preparation of character. There's preparation of reputation. There's preparation of relationships. There's preparation of walking closely with God. There's preparation of knowing His Word. There's also preparation of the trusting of his voice. Listen to what he says to us. You, I have made you into strong towers. Now you might disagree like Gideon did. But this is the word of the Lord. This isn't something thrown out there hoping that someone will take it and run with it. This is the word of the Lord to you this morning. This is the word of the Lord to me this morning. I will always be with you. I have made you a strong tower. You want? He will always be there. He will never renege on his promise. We know that. We revel in that each Sunday, each time we come to this place. But he always keeps his promise. You want also I'll never forget this. You've got we've got what they need if they're going to spend eternity in heaven with God in the glories of eternity then they need to know how to get there and we have got what they need and do you know that we have what they want you talk to people at, a, at a, a deeper level than rugby and, and all that. And you will find that people's desire, greatest desire, is what Christ has given to me. Peace, love, hope, relationships. That's what God has given to me. Peace, love, hope, and relationships. You know, I've, people have said to me, I wish I could have what you've got. And I think you can. All you've got to do is put your trust in Jesus. So the people out there, they need what we have. The people out there, they want what we have. And therefore that puts us at an advantage every time a situation arises with the, when we reach the lost. You know, it won't be easy. I'm not going to say that it's going to be easy. That's never been promised. Not even you has it been promised. They will fight against you, says God. Of course they will. But it will be so rewarding. So rewarding. When you look up 
and see those to whom you have thrown this amazing lifeline of God's grace and mercy. You know, and perhaps you might see them going through the waters of baptism, or you might see them witnessing, or you might see them singing for the Lord, or you might see them preaching and taking churches on. How much of a thrill is that? It's the greatest thrill in life to see someone that you have led to the Lord moving on. Moving on. I led a young girl to the Lord when I was in uh, Carmel, baptized her, and then of course I left and I lost all contact with her. And about four years ago, I met her again. And I was a little bit. So I said, Are you still in the Lord? Oh, yes, she said. Oh, yes. I go to such and such a church. My husband's there. My children are there. We are going on with our new. So thrilled. So thrilled. Because that's the reward of reaching out, preparing yourself, of setting the pot on a level playing field. And I pray the Lord will bless us in this. What do you see? Well, I see an almond rod. God, you hear. God, there's good news. God, there's hope. God, there's joy and there's peace and there's fruitfulness. I see a boiling pot. There's problems. Let's bring those two messages to bear upon ourselves and upon the people that we love, that we work with, that we live with, that we just do things with. That they too would come to an understanding of this amazing message for themselves. For Jesus' sake. Amen.